1: Brian
0: Karam. Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me once again is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and current uh, editor-at-large and columnist for CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. we start out today talking about um probably well it's its the most horrific videotape i've seen covering crime in 40 years and i have covered a lot of crime i've been with police officers as they've made busts i've witnessed gang fights gang wars i've seen police take down suspects and suspects take down police i've seen probably Every bit of video that you'd ever want to see with police officers involved in some kind of violence. And I was floored by what we saw in the Tyree Nichols case out of Memphis. Uh, These officers now face charges of second degree murder. And I don't know if that's quite enough for what we saw when you see Nichols, who is a father, who was a father of one 29 year old man being beaten to death for no reason at all. While he screams for his mother, and afterwards, the officers congratulated themselves for the job that they did. And the question I have for both of you, we have body cameras that are supposed to prevent all of this because officers will be on their best behavior. And yet it seems that these officers operated without any fear or so-called or felt there would be no no uh, uh, coming up for it. They did it with impunity. They did it without any care for uh, another human being. And so when people scream Black Lives Matter and say defund the police, you have to use this as a case in point as for why they're upset. So the question again is, what,
2: who are we? (laughs) Michael, you want to give it a whirl? Sure. And let me say that We really need to broaden the aperture beyond these five police officers, because what this episode reflected, just as the George Floyd episode reflected and many other episodes reflect, is that there is a cultural problem within policing. And I know from my tenure as a, a consultant in a global consulting firm that helped financial institutions who were under Regulatory orders from the Treasury Department or their federal regulators that in order to change an organization, it has to start at the top with the the so called tone at the top, and then the implementation through middle management, and then sanctions for frontline people who fail to comply with the tone at the top um, messaging that the middle managers have to implement. And I think in policing, what we're finding is there is a, no good tone at the top, that there is not an implementation by the tone if there is a tone at the top. And then the people at the lowest level, the, the frontline officers, are not being disciplined uh, for, for failures. And contributing to that is limited you know, qualified immunity that protects them from uh, Liability, And so if you focus simply on these uh, George Floyd, Tyree um, type of events, you're just missing, I think, the, the the broader picture, which is policing. And we saw it also in the military with three active duty military officers uh, feeling that it was okay to be part of the January 6th insurrection. Policing and, and military, they, they become sanctuaries for some bad actors. There are some very good actors in police whose motives are are, are are really good and are doing wonderful things. But I think, Brian, the answer here is not to focus on one particular event, but to say, how systemically does this keep happening? And what, you know, sort of Kerner Commission-like, what what do we need to do? To change the structure of policing in America, we've talked about this before. Policing in America sort of grew out of um, fugitive slave laws. I mean, so they, they it's it was birthed out of um, an effort by um, white landowners, slaveholders, to get their runaway slaves, and then there were the black codes. These these laws that were put into effect essentially to uh, lies, Black behavior so they can then disenfranchise them. That's how this whole notion of felons can't vote um, came to be. It's all about disenfranchisement of, of, of African-Americans. And so you have to step back and look at that broad picture and say, what can we do societally, systemically to address it? Because you're never going to address it one-off. Um, and, and, and people, I think, are too happy to say, well, you know, we did a good job. They convicted the George Floyd murderers, you know, and, you know, we've solved the problem. Of course, they, they solve the problem until the next problem shows up just a few weeks later. And so I think that's where the conversation needs to be, um, because the brutality of this is just beyond conversation. It, it's inexcusable. And you want to sort of say to these five officers, for God's sakes, what were you thinking? W- what would promote this sort of behavior—it's sort would of you like think the you could questions... never get away with
0: it. That's that's the thing that I always come back to, John.
3: Well, if you gentlemen will recall, and listeners will recall, um Joe Biden once promised to set up a policing commission, and then the administration uh, scrapped those plans. I think that is desperately needed here, and it needs to have a subcommittee on on race and policing for sure um that needs i don't know why the president you know i believe he's supposed to go to baltimore on monday i don't know why they don't move that trip and he instead um announces that he is going to set up the policing commission i think um this is a big a big moment for president biden to do something you know you had governor uh sununu of new hampshire on on the sunday one of the sunday shows this morning and he was asked about you know more resources, more training, um, and and this is how Republicans often dance around this issue. He said, "Well, those decisions need to be made at the state, but really at the ultra local level." So you get around any kind of reform or accountability or standards, or you know the federal government isn't going to give you, or the state government for that matter isn't going to give you, you know, the funding that the, the grant money you've asked for for those squad cars um if you if you fail to meet these national standards, but i don't see I don't see that coming. I don't see the commission coming from uh the administration, and I mean, good luck getting a policing reform bill through the house right now i don't think, i don't I don't think it would get sixty votes in the Senate either and i think president biden I don't himself think he get
0: 60 votes in the house
3: <laughs> right and and i don't think president biden who we we believe is is running for election would be all that excited about signing a policing reform bill heading into his reelect campaign now maybe a, that could be a second term thing that they tackle but to every every smart point michael just made how many more people will have to die before the administration really get serious about this do you and, and the Congress now? and the Congress. Congress should not be you know let off the hook here right. until Washington does something because these states aren't going to do anything and states are resource scrapped. You know, this is going to have to be at the national level. Republicans are going to hate it. But I mean, again, how many more people have to die?
0: Do you think it's worse now? Do you think police brutality is worse now than in the past? I'll let you take that first john and
3: i would have to dive into the data we see it now technology social media cable yeah. networks we see it now it certainly existed i brian you and i grew up in the south we we've yeah. heard about this kind of stuff heard about it i was a
0: victim of it but yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> so you know this stuff has been going on for a, a long long time it's unfortunate there are a lot it's it's also important to say i have one in my family there are a lot of good cops out there. And I it's also a shame that the good cops have to be uh, you know in. grouped in with 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 guys like like the 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 five officers former officers in Memphis. So there are a lot of good cops, but all it takes is one or two bad ones.
0: What do you think, Michael? Worse now
2: or just we're seeing it more? Well, you know, we shouldn't forget that Barack Obama signed into law by executive order what was called the President's Task Force on 21st Century Policing in December 2014. And Laurie Robinson, a uh, friend and, and criminologist, and uh, Charles Ramsey, a former police commissioner of Philadelphia, studied this and um, in uh, 2015, they issued a lengthy report um, calling for all sorts of reforms and the collection of data, and it's been done, but not not implemented. And so the problem is the studies the studies are out there, the data has been um, uh, collected. Um, but the states have been loath to adopt the recommendations, and that you know requires, as I said, the tone at the top, and in that case it's the it's the governor, and the governor has to say on a statewide basis, or the mayor of a city, um, perhaps at a more micro level, has to say, "This is what we're going to do and implement this stuff. otherwise, you know we're just talking, and you yes.
0: know. And, and, and while people have been
2: talking, about, people have been talking for a century about the need to reform. Um, the, then the, let's the go back.
0: You, you make an excellent point. And I'll go back to I want to uh, add uh, before we go to break here, go to uh, add a couple of things to what you've both said. Yes, I've known many good cops. In fact, one of them was the chief of police in uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, Tom Manger, who is now the head of the Capitol Police Department, who advocated for neighborhood uh, policing and community policing techniques and standards that he implemented in uh, Montgomery County to combat the idea that police were enemies and that, you know, they worked beats and worked in the, in the neighborhoods. Great idea, needs to come back. One of the best cops I ever knew was a guy named Harold Schott. In, uh, um, he was in San Antonio, Texas. I knew him after he'd been on the beat for 25 years, and he told me once that his greatest thrill in being a police officer And he took his motto, protect, to protect and serve seriously. He had never drawn his weapon. He had never gotten involved in a beatdown. And he retired being able to say that. There needs to be more police officers like that, or at least brought out that idea of policing needs to be brought out more. And then what you said earlier, Michael, about uh, police, you know, there was reform. The very first reform in policing came from the Republicans and came from Teddy Roosevelt, who reformed the New York City Police Department, kicked off, got rid of the nepotism, got rid of the bribery, and brought in professional standards. Policing, you're right, was based on slave catching, but it was was in reaction to the fact that landowners, And those with money did not like the fact that sheriff's departments were doing the policing in neighborhoods because those people reacted because they were elected. So they were responsive to the populace instead of to landowners and instead of to money. And so policing, modern policing was born from that. And unless you change that and make police more responsive to the people and more involved in their communities, you're going to continue to have the problems, in my humble opinion. Anyway, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, the latest, the greatest, and the best. Stick around. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
0: Hi, we're back. It's Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Karen. Once again with me is John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And I want to talk a little bit, I'll just ask you guys this, this quick question and love to, to get your, your thoughts on it. Uh, this week, the uh, United States has given tanks to, or said they are giving tanks, Abrams tanks, to Ukraine, Uh, Germany has chipped in with tanks. Once again, um, Vladimir Putin is saying this could escalate the war and it could lead to nuclear conflagration. And in fact, in the beginning, we said we would only give them defensive weapons to defend themselves. Tanks can be used both defensively and offensively. And despite uh, Lauren Boebert saying we should send the tanks to the, the Mexican border for God only knows what reason, I guess to shoot at unarmed families, but that, that that nonsense aside, she clearly doesn't understand what a tank is. Uh, maybe she thought they were water tanks. But nonetheless, with tanks going to Ukraine, is it, it are we I, I, I don't even know how to put it gently, but are we running the risk of World War II? There are those who think that that's way over that's an overstatement to say so. and those who think it's an understatement, those who think it's pure blarney. John, I'll give you the first shot at that. Uh,
3: in a word, yes. the The longer this goes, the more chances there are for over escalation, uh, misinterpretations, overreactions. By I'm, and I'm saying this both sides. That's how yeah. war works. And um, <clears throat> you know, Mr. Putin certainly uh, bringing up uh, nuclear n- nuclear conflict again. You got Donald Trump kind of parroting Putin's and line and on which, yeah which isn't that surprising and uh Tr- Trump did some events yesterday in early primary states and he's out there again saying he could broker a, a peace deal in 24 hours which I'm not sure anyone uh believes that I'm not sure Mr. Well Trump he could sell him back
0: did. Alaska that's how he do it
3: <laughs> here's Hawaii too just here. yeah <laughs> it takes too long to get there yeah um So, yeah, that's just how these things go. Uh, The the, the chance gets higher and higher. You know, the German chancellor wasn't thrilled reportedly with, you know, the the specter of German leopard tanks, German tanks rolling toward the Russian front. Uh, That was really underreported here in the States. It was just, you know, he's he's letting Zelensky and Biden down. Well, let's put let's remember our history here folks and history extends beyond uh the continental United States. Uh so the German chancellor had plenty of reasons to not want leopard German made perhaps with the German insignia rolling toward uh Russian turf again. So there's a lot of apprehension here but at the same time um you're either you know to 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 borrow a phrase from uh, George W Bush you're either with the Ukrainians or you're not with the Ukrainians. So yes, there's a risk of being drawn, the US being drawn uh deeper and deeper into this thing. Germany, France, the Brits, um, and you know, one one wrong move, uh one errant missile, and we can be in a lot deeper. Uh, if you know now Zelensky wants American made F-16s. You know, at He's some point. Does. At some point, there, there 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 could be so much American hardware being used that um that 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 could trigger a broader conflict. So so yeah, I, I think the answer uh, is yes. I I wouldn't have said that three months ago, but the longer this goes and the more of that American hardware that gets in there, remember we're gonna have trainers on the ground somewhere. Um, we have to train the Americans have to train the ukrainians on the abrams tank it's a very complex system and i covered defense and i used to roll my eyes but this is true it's a system of systems so you know what happens what ha- i know i know i know i hate to use the jargon but it's true in this case it is true um what happens when an american unit military unit is training some ukrainians maybe the russians misinterpret what's going on or what unit that is and they fire a missile and kill You know, 13 American soldiers, then what?
0: Yeah. Well, that is, you know, I I spoke with NSC people this week, and they, you know, the doomsday clock was set the closest it's ever been set to midnight, 30 seconds from midnight. And for many, it's, you know, speculative, but these are scientists who, uh, devoid of politics, are saying because of our, because of the things going on in the globe, including, you know, global warming and, and uh, I'm sorry, climate change and COVID and the war in Ukraine, all of this is combining to set us closer to midnight, which would be conflagration, the end of the human race. And there are those who say that, you know, hey, look, this is, this is pure speculative garbage. And the NSC is saying all of this aside and the considerations in Ukraine, we aren't changing what we've said, you know, and the speculations that we have about ongoing conflict. And John Kirby came out in the, Press room this week and defended the giving of the tanks to uh, Ukraine, but nonetheless, this is an offensive weapon. This uh, tanks are right. not purely defensive, which is where we began. So it's obvious we have escalated our contribution. Now they're supposed to be training these people off-site. They're going to bring Ukrainians to the U.S. or to Germany on the on the uh, uh, Patriot missile system, but nonetheless. There are people, and in fact, there was one deserter, a, a U.S. deserter, who was killed in Ukraine mm-hmm. in the past week. He deserted, you know, two years ago. How, your question is valid. At some point in time, this is how Vietnam began. You know, first it was training, and then it was advisors, and then we ran, right. and the next thing you know, right. we we were we're invading Cambodia. So, Michael, I guess that that question goes to you: Is
2: are we are we closer? Well. I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that you can draw different parallels in, in different ways. You know, some people you hear talk about the Rhineland and Hitler's um, absorption of Austria, and of that that is what is at stake here: the Russian effort to essentially annex Ukraine. And are we going to sit back um and engage in appeasement part two? And you drew the analogy to an uh to to Vietnam, and I think many draw the analogy to the Second World War and seeing Putin sort of a an aggressor uh, like fellow, um, analogous to Hitler and the Uh, early years of his uh, chancellorship and that if we don't learn that lesson they say then we are doomed to repeat it and uh so i i hear both sides of the arguments and i just don't know i just don't know the answer obviously we don't want to creep closer to um doomsday but i don't know what the best way to stop the creep is do you stop the creep now um now when you say creep do you mean the creep towards war or the creep in in,
0: in that is vladimir putin no the creep <laughs> the is creep, it an adjective or a noun
2: or an adverb the, the creep the creep toward war ah. you know do we do will we a look verb. back if we don't if we don't do this do we look back in a year from now and think like oh my god we had in 2020 2022 2023 the opportunity to stop this then and we didn't and now look where we are you yeah. know way further down the creep toward um that doomsday uh, world war three scenario so it, it's a wonderfully important question i just don't know the answer but how I, do you
0: think biden has handled it so far
2: well, I think he's taken the the view that you cannot allow Russian expansionism uh, in a you know in the in the traditional Cold War warrior stands, and so if that's the view that you think is the correct one, then I think he's behaved you know admirably in relation to that uh, uh, you know sort of theory. I just don't know whether it's the whether it's the right theory and Ah. i'm just not smart enough uh in in these matters to 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 know this i don't know who is um well i think biden's got it over us on experience
0: john you've got it over us in covering the the military What, what are your thoughts
3: i'm like michael i i i don't know how you stop the creep and and you can use that as an adjective an adverb or a noun. I, I'm or not a verb. sure <laughs> right at this point. Um Biden did not want to give the Abrams tanks the 31 Abrams tanks, but he felt he had to. You know, it was reported, Brian, you ask a lot um on, on this podcast how the media is covering things. I think yes. we did I think we did a really bad job this week covering um uh, not my colleagues, of course, a CQ Roll Call, but, but some other <laughs> outlets I saw out Everybody there. Else. <laughs> um, you know, we report it wasn't a reversal necessarily by Biden. Uh, he just preferred to get the leopard tanks and and maybe some British tanks in there. Um, he never said hell no on the Abrams. He he chose what he thought was a middle ground, was what was necessary to, to get the Germans and others to send some of their tanks and they weren't going to do that unless he sent the Abrams tanks. So, um, you know, we could have explained that a lot better in my opinion. I mean, he sent Lloyd Austin, the secretary of state, uh, the previous week, a couple of weeks ago, um, to Europe to argue against the Abrams. Lloyd Austin was arguing that the Abrams, it has a jet engine. it Burns. You know, he said he called it a gas guzzler. This is going to be really expensive and really hard for the Ukrainians to operate. This this is a very difficult. The U, the, the army doesn't even love the Abrams. No, that's
0: I mean, why they're getting rid of them. <laughs>
3: right, right. It's just like the strikers and 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 the and the other stuff that they sent. They're sending stuff that they they don't like, and they want to get <laughs> yeah, rid of it. You, you um, you they don't make even. A great point. <laughs> it's too expensive for the 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 best funded military in the world. And we think th- this is going to be a difference maker. It's going to run out of gas. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, how has Biden handled it? I think he's doing I, I I think Biden sees no other real effective option than to keep supplying the Ukrainians um, and but but not going too far with it. But, you know, at what point? Uh, but again, you're in it. You know, you're yeah. in it. Now. I mean, you're in it. So if Biden active. stopped, right. If Biden stopped, then you know that's not gonna play well either. So um, but this is the job. This is the job that he ran for. He, you know, he he knows the job better than we do, being vice president for eight years. So, you know, the question is, I think
0: well, you how does question. this
3: play? How does this play in the 2024 campaign? Yeah. And does Biden feel pressure to pull back at some point? You know, if it's not polling well or DeSantis Trump, whoever is just really hammering him on it. Um, because no one, Zelensky, Biden, Putin himself, no one sees this thing over in a year or or maybe even two years. This looks like a really long, long war, and
0: unless Putin decides to to drop it. And I you know, I don't think that'll happen. But you beg the question: are we giving (laughs) him it's like we're sitting there going? Well, we don't like the striker. We don't like the uh, Abrams. Let's get rid of them and give them to Ukraine. We'll keep the best stuff ourselves. We're having a fire sale, no pun intended. And the military industrial complex has gone, okay, now we can restock with the stuff that we really like.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, i if if we if the u s. gives uh, some f sixteens out of its own inventory, then um, you know, having covered defense budgeting and programs for way too long, all that means is you know the the Air Force is just going to ask for new F-35 yeah. to replace yeah. them they're not going to replace them one-on-one with new F-16s they'll no. ask for f-35s yeah and and then you know we're not uh, this isn't on our rundown today but then um <laughs> then what do you do because the conservatives in the house want to cut defense spending in a twist and this morning Kevin McCarthy said in debt ceiling talks Social Security Medicare off the table defense cuts, on the table. So this is all interrelated. It's just one big spider web. And um and we'll, we'll and talk I about
0: that. We'll have to put that yeah. on the agenda for next week when we when we so get a we'll little that was a surprise and there are and that will garner democratic votes.
2: It would. Yeah. It would. Yeah. Well all the progressives are gonna vote for that. They've yeah, been talking absolutely. about that for a long time. It's an interesting um yeah. thing what is going on in, in the house where you're going to see uh, I think a lot of very strange coalitions of um, you know, they always have said that it's a, that the, the political spectrum yeah. is not really a spectrum, it's a it's a circle and right. that at, at different points you have different factions touching each other around the circumference of the of the circle. And here you have the you know the far right, members of the uh, Republican coalition and the more um, left leaning members of the Democratic coalition coming to consensus that we are spending too much money on military um, on the military budget. It, which be- And that begs the question, I'd love to get your
0: thoughts on this, that Kevin McCarthy's lack of spine may actually be the, in the best interest of the United States because he's showing that he'll court the Democrats and some of what they hold dear in order to maintain leadership and maintain his role at the top.
2: Yeah. Well, he should have done that while he was (laughs) trying to become the
0: speaker.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I think that he had, he had a golden opportunity to change the paradigm in Washington and say that he's going to not lead a coalition government, you know, um, European style, but rather he was going to build a consensus government, as we said, American style. Previously. Yeah, you know, sort of to to true to John's love between the you know the thirty yard line and the thirty yard line. We're <laughs> going to play. We're going to play in the middle and leave you know the red zone and a little bit outside of the red zone um, to to twist slowly in the wind. Whoever, whose ever expression that was, I forget. Uh, <laughs> So John, and and he he chose not to. So now maybe he'll do it, you know, sort of ad hoc. But he really he blew it. Yeah, yeah. Is he is he trying to get it
0: back, John? You think that (laughs) move to to protect Social Security and is his uh, bowing to the Democrats a little bit to try and get him on his side?
3: No. Uh, What he's doing there, it's that's not about that's not about the debt ceiling or Democrats. He he knows that they can't be seen as the party that cut those uh, programs because older folks vote and (laughs) vote Republican. And and right now they're voting Republican in larger numbers than they're voting anything else. So that that's not an olive branch to Hakeem Jeffries. Or it's it's
0: not an attempt at an olive branch. (laughs) No,
3: (laughs) no, no, no. That's all about 2024 that he's thinking ahead and that's his job. He's one of the leaders of the party. And and, you know, it's his responsibility to grow that five seat majority. So that's what he's thinking about. And, you know, I I'm shocked that there's politics going on in a political system. Right. Oh, my
0: God. Who
3: could think? <laughs> so, um, no, I don't think you're going to see some kumbaya breakout where no, uh, I don't Pete think Jeffries is in McCarthy's office once a week and they're cutting all these deals and the debt ceilings over in two weeks. And he's you know, he's not going to go. Over, he's going to meet with Biden Wednesday you know he's not going to go over there and cut some deal let's get a keem and chuck over here and let's write all this down um no he's thinking ahead to the next election and there and, and in a way fair
0: enough fair enough all right right, <laughs> we're and, and, and fair enough we're going to take another short break we come back and of course you can't get out of the day without talking about two things the nfl and and, and donald trump we'll start with donald trump we'll be right back <laughs> Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter
1: and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.
0: Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caram, and with me once again, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and we're talking now Well, we have to move on. So let's move on to one of the favorite whipping boys of the last few years. And the guy who always takes all the oxygen out of the room whenever he shows up, even if he's there just to go to the bathroom. And that's Donald Trump. He had stops in South Carolina this week. Uh, There's talk that uh, once again, there's talk that indictments are imminent. But let's start off with the stops in South Carolina. John, those were not the rallies that we've grown used to they were something different
3: they're very different now remember trump himself i believe wrote on his uh social media platform uh, a few weeks ago criticizing the media for criticizing him for not holding any rallies uh yet <laughs> since he announced that he was running for president a third time um uh, trump's point was it's too early to do the rallies that there would be plenty of rallies uh, but, you know, the election is is a long time away. Uh, boy, it's going to feel like it. <laughs> so these were smaller events. Uh, it seems like uh, it seems like probably a lot of donors in the audience in New Hampshire and South Carolina. And those matter because they're early primary states. Uh, governor Sununu from New Hampshire this morning predicted on on one of the Sunday on political shows that Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor right now, at least, would win. Uh, the Republican primary right. in his state in New Hampshire, so Trump would have to get South Carolina, or you know, narratives matter, momentum matters in these primaries, so that's why Trump went to South Carolina as well. Um, you would think, and uh, being born just across the uh, and raised um, just across the state line in North Carolina, uh, that is solid Trump country, but people like DeSantis. And it's a sign from Trump. They haven't heard him uh, talk yet. (laughs) Well, they will. (laughs) We'll find out. We'll find out if Ron DeSantis is legit or if he's Scott Walkers himself when he gets out there and he's just not a candidate. Whether he Jeb Bushes himself and he's just not a viable, serious candidate. You know, you got to look the part. You got to sound the part. Uh, People have to like you for the most part. Um, or you have to touch them somewhere deep inside their psyches and 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 everything, and that's what Donald Trump did. And I don't know if DeSantis doesn't strike me as having that personality, but the policies that he pushes and the way he talks about it, DeSantis is going to reach that spot for a lot of Trump voters, and that right. is why Trump was in South Carolina. He knows Ron DeSantis. Head
0: him off at the pass. Right. He's, yeah, he's yeah.
3: got to sure that stayed up. But it's also a sign that Trump Trump does take DeSantis seriously, despite what he says.
0: Yeah, and it's also a sign that he's taking his run for the office seriously. Right. And it's more than just a grift, but it is, right. on top of everything, a grift. Uh, Michael, there was you know, former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner on Friday said uh, in, in a, in a uh, tweet and then on his YouTube channel that uh, Donald Trump's lengthy rants on Truth Social indicate he quote, Knows what's coming from the Department of Justice, uh, former federal prosecutor yourself, and, and and you know, Glenn, what do you you think? You think it does show that?
2: Well, I think Donald Trump has been ranting for most of his adult life. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to prove causation um, between any particular event. And um ranting, so <laughs> I'm at a loss to 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 say that Donald Trump knows what's coming when the rest of us don't. um so I think it was hyperbolic on on Glenn's part. um he may be proven to be correct in the end, but I just think that Donald Trump rants and and that's you know sort of a given so the 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 different question or the related question then is what's our best guess about whether or not charges will be brought against donald trump in georgia my follow-up yes or and or by the doj and i remain agnostic because I know how hard it is to bring um, cases uh, in this in this area, both Georgia and federally, where in, intent is so important, a component of the prosecution, and the intent of Trump, if who that's who we're focused on, yes, um, <clears throat> is as complicated to prove as as I think it is so for example people say well it's a slam dunk that Donald Trump called um in Georgia the secretary of state to say find me 11,780 votes and that was criminal interference and it's and it's I don't know why they haven't brought the case already so some right. say and then I look at it and say well If Donald Trump were to take the witness stand or someone was to take the witness stand and say that he had data, he had information upon which he relied, that there was fraud in in Georgia, and what he was saying to Rassenberger was don't invent votes for me, but do your damn job and look at the fraud. And if you do, you'll find that there are at least 7,000, 11,780 votes which will tip the election so so do your damn job because there are consequences for elected officials who don't do their damn job. Um, and so I didn't I wasn't trying to muscle him um, to create something out of thin air. I was just telling him there's fraud I know it I've been told it I've got people who will testify that um, they had evidence of it and I just called the secretary and told him to do his damn job. Well, so do you get guilt beyond a reasonable doubt um, out of out of out of that? Maybe maybe people will say that's just complete B.S. And this was a shakedown clear as day. And, you know, this is an invented defense. But I know that it's complicated. And I know in Georgia that Herschel Walker came within, you know, percentage points, you know, point something less than a full point of winning, including um, many voters in Fulton County, where this case will be tried. So you've got if you've got half the electorate, or let's say in Fulton County, you've got a quarter of the electorate, who is going to vote for Herschel Walker, believing him to be qualified, those people are going to be on your jury. And you got to convince those people that Donald Trump, a person who's beloved by them, uh, by making a phone call and and pursuing fraud which they think is rampant in the voting system in America um committed a crime well you know good luck you're not going to get it well you might get it but it but it's not slam dunk and so when you say um when the when the question is what's going to happen the answer is i don't know because to me, these cases are much more complex and nuanced than uh, they are for Glenn Kirshner and some of the other <laughs> um, the legal analysts. But Glenn is a very experienced guy, a very nice guy, a really good prosecutor, and and he may be proven to be correct. I am, you know, Skeptical. perhaps more perhaps more insecure. You know, I don't know. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it.
0: Well, one of the ancillary things to that is that perhaps the uh, the charge that has uh consumed now a two presidents and a former vice president and that is the classified documents scandal with the National Archives saying please to every living former president and vice president could you just go back and see if you got any <laughs> apparently there are no uh, documents in the National Archives, and uh, they're asking for all the former vice presidents and presidents to give him back. So in that regards, Pence went on a mea culpa, former vice president. Uh, Mike Pence went on a mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, culpa tour this this week with his own, uh, the, own with the finding that he too had some classified documents. Does that ruin his chance to run for uh, president or did he ever really have one, John?
3: I don't see a path to the nomination for uh, Michael Richard Pence. So I don't think this is uh, a death knell in his possible campaign. Yeah, a death
0: knell to his dead campaign.
3: <laughs> right. I, I don't think this is going to be the thing that uh, that uh, that gets him defeated by Mr. Trump, DeSantis, probably Nikki Haley. Um, I've seen polling where he runs neck and neck with Sununu, who uh, is not a national name. But I've also seen polling... Where Mike Pence uh approaches 10%. So people know his name. That helps. Um, but I I don't see him um, emerging from what looks like it could be a pretty crowded field uh as the nominee. But back back to Trump for and, and especially when Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump also had classified documents. Um no, well, I know what about the fact
0: that Pence at one point in time was hammering, you know, uh Biden pretty hard for his. Uh, classified documents and it turns out he has them himself.
3: Well th- this is this goes to show that no former president or vice president should say they don't have any of these documents mixed in with other documents 1 two, uh 20. Now Trump had over 300. That's
2: that's a <laughs> <different> <laughs> matter. When <laughs> folks
3: say that this is apples and oranges, believe them because they're correct. Yeah. Um but you know, any president or vice president could have some of this stuff mixed in Um, you know, sometimes the notes they take can be considered classified. Classified, So, you know, you shouldn't say you don't have it because you don't know. I covered the defense sector for, again, you know, 13, 14 years. And, you know, they have these uh, big conferences where you go to a hotel ballroom and you have a number of speakers and a lot of time, next slide, next slide, next slide. And they're talking about a PowerPoint presentation. And every now and then a classified slide would show up in the deck and you would have to scramble and you know, there would be a scramble to get it to the next slide and, and to move on. And then they would have to report it internally. Um, you know, guys weren't reprimanded. It happens. So my view on the Pence and Biden documents is, you know, this is probably just bad staff work packing up the boss for the night, you know, but with Trump 300 documents, Uh, that's, that's a different matter. So, um, you know, but back to Trump, I, as I wrote to you guys, I know the, the ranting doesn't Prove to me uh that 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 he knows what's coming. You know, as I as I put it earlier, Trump rants when he feels betrayed, slighted, or just plain insecure. And like he got he a bad feels, donut
0: for breakfast.
3: Right. He feels slighted and uh, and betrayed by some of his former staff uh who have talked to federal investigators. So, you know, he rants, like you said, about everything. We heard him rant in those pool sprays uh when when we would go into the oval or whatever room uh, he would rant every morning on twitter when he was president Uh, as michael said you know ranting is just part of the guy's dna it's it's just he'll rant he'll rant until the day he passes away
0: and then Uh, he'll rant after
3: and and hey i'm a bit of a ranter too so i'll rant. that 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 applies to me too uh in, in all fairness so it's just who the guy is
2: yeah Michael. So your I, your position, John, is there's no ranting in the afterlife. So you oh yeah.
3: well. No, we have to first debate if there's an afterlife.
2: <laughs> I, okay. right. I just wanted to be clear because you had him stopping. <laughs> yeah, right. Right.
3: right. Okay. <laughs> I, if there's an afterlife. The day dies. That's a good point. If there's an afterlife, uh Mr. Trump will be ranting away.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's remember, remember too warm that, in here. <laughs> you remember there was that wonderful um curb your enthusiasm episode <laughs> where Larry David and his wife Cheryl are going to renew their wedding vows. And she in the practice says to him, you know, I love you now and forever. And um through all you know we'll be together through all eternity. No, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Eternity? <laughs> well and so yeah Larry David says wait a second wait a second we're renewing vows and i only agreed until death do us part <laughs> oh man i am not agreeing to eternity no yeah. so, you know trump may well be um ranting in <laughs> so, back, back, to, back to the oh let's
0: get off the rant for a second go back to mike pence's rant he's ranting on uh Biden having the documents and he's got them. I, I find myself agreeing with John. There's probably every, you know, I w- it makes you wonder what, you know, <laughs> what Jimmy Carter's, you know, building the ho- houses for humanity out of. I mean, but nonetheless, all jokes but the, aside. But the
2: point is, the point, Brian, is that these types of investigations follow sort of a protocol. And so the the first question, the first question is, as it relates to the initial mishandling, and that is to determine whether the mishandling was intentional or unintentional. And you have to answer that question. It would appear that in Biden's and um, Pence's case, the initial mishandling was inadvertent, unintentional. But nonetheless, there are mishandled documents. And then you have to say, all right, well, fine, they were inadvertently mishandled, but what came of them after they were mishandled? Was there any destruction? Was there any alteration? Was there any dissemination to third parties? Because even if it's unintentional, if you do any of those things to the documents, knowingly do anything to those documents, then liability could attach. And so it seems that in the Biden and the Pence case, there was neither dissemination nor alteration slash destruction. And then you finally get to the last question, which is, so now that you've had uh, it revealed that you're in possession of documents that were mishandled, that you didn't destroy or alter or disseminate, did you cooperate in giving them did you back? you give them back? Right. <laughs> and um, were they returned or was the um, request for return resisted? And that resistance depending on the form it takes could rise to the level of obstruction could be, right could be the of, basis of of, of of an investigation. It might not the, the National Archives might say give us back checkers the dog and you can say no checkers is not properly yours. And you could have a disagreement about that. Um, and so it seems again that both Biden and pence once the do- the um documents the were discovered <laughs> yeah, once the documents were discovered fully cooperated with the government now there may be some criticism of trump rather sorry there may be some criticism of biden they didn't let the public know soon enough but there's no evidence that he failed to let the government know immediately upon yeah, one
0: was a political and one was one right. was a political
2: consequence so, one was so a criminal from, consequence right so, so the difference was yeah i i get that i mean biden no but so let me just give me one more second and so so it would seem to me that both of those guys pence and biden are not in legal jeopardy when you do that same three-part analysis right. to trump we don't yet know whether there was an intentional or inadvertent um, removal, I'm inclined to believe that they were inadvertent, um, although it may be that there may, they, they may find one or two documents were purposefully taken, specifically the North Korean uh, letters that Trump calls the, the love letters may have been intentionally taken. But I would expect that more than likely these documents were unintentionally taken and that they also weren't destroyed or altered or disseminated. And Therefore, you get stuck at the end of the conversation with did he obstruct justice when he failed to return the documents? And the evidence is you know still being gathered, but but right now, as a threshold matter, it sure looks like he objected um in a perhaps obstructionist way to the return of those, of those documents. But again, to my state of ever-present confusion. It's not clear to me that that's a, a slam dunk case because I think people could have disagreements about whether or not something is entitled, they're entitled to or not. I think the fact that they're marked classified um, makes Trump's argument that he had a good faith belief that he was entitled to these documents untenable. And even if he says, I declassified them, it doesn't make a difference. They're still not his, they have to be returned. And, and he if he said has anybody, right. And if he has anybody who moved them in an effort to um, hide them from uh, the, the searching parties, then he's got a much more complicated... Well, let's go
0: back to the June 1st letter that his lawyer sent out saying we have searched high and low and there is no other uh, documents and there were still dozens of documents and they moved those at that time. right and so the lawyers of that hold on and then wait 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 wait. whoa whoa whoa, just second and then there's also the fact that he at first claimed that the fbi had made it all up and then and i know there can be differences of opinion but at the end he said it doesn't matter if i have them or not they're mine they all belong to me at some point in time i know you're not looking at a slam dunk on it you know unless you got you're Lieutenant Colombo, and you're got the. you standing there going, sorry, ma'am, I know you said you didn't do it, but you got the gun, I saw you do it. Unless there's an eyewitness to it, I don't know that there's any such thing as a slam dunk. But a preponderance of this at some point in time shows that it, at the very least, the Donald Trump case is far different from the Michael Pence case and from the, the Biden case, and it deserves at least the scrutiny of going, look, it, it, even if this isn't chargeable, which I think it is, there has to be something in place to make sure, because right now all the archives can do is say, pretty please give us back
2: the documents that belong to the government. There has to be some accountability. Well, that's, but there are, there is civil accountability. The Presidential Records Act requires them to be given, and they went in and, and grabbed them pursuant to um, their authority under the Act. Um, but they also got a search warrant because they believed that there was evidence of of in my part three of obstruction. And so they they
0: uh yeah, that...
2: t- who tipped him off?
0: Jared. But I'm not gonna say who it was, Jared, but it was probably well,
2: Jared. But but so so what I'm saying is in agreement with you that Pence and Biden on the one hand differ from Trump on the other hand, and that the primary focus of prosecutors in the trump case is in my mind part three the obstruction not the initial mishandling and i don't think there's evidence of tampering or um dissemination though we don't know about the yeah, dissemination, we really don't know yeah You're right but but if he if he with and knowledge if there was,
0: is let me interrupt you they're saying if there is then that in and of itself would be enough for for a charge yes if there's if, evidence of
2: if he if he had Classified documents and that all he shared with third zones parties zones. that lacked the clearances. Yeah, that's a pretty straightforward problem. And
0: that's something that we would not have knowledge of that the DOJ would. You would assume,
2: correct? Okay, that's what I would. That's what I would assume.
0: All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a fun few months.
2: So, <laughs> I, I, so, so we can conclude this segment by saying zeldin is um dazed and confused and we have and this and this uh, and this conversation is uh proof positive of
0: it was <laughs> well, a good album well, we're, gonna, we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back coming back in three two whoop let me write that down three two one hi we're back it's just asked the question i am your host brian carom and with me again is Michael Zeldin and John Bennett, John of CQ Roll Call fame, and Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor. Give you guys a chance to plug right now your 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 latest, greatest efforts. John, where can oh, we we've catch got, you?
3: Yeah, we've got the weekly column every Friday at rollcall.com. And uh, three days a week, usually when Congress is in session, the CQ afternoon newsletter hits your inbox in the four o'clock hour and you can subscribe at CQ.com.
0: And I highly recommend that. And I, in fact, I even used part of it in, in my column this week on Salon because I, I I thought it was just nailed it so well. Read it, folks. It's really good. Michael, your turn.
2: I host a podcast on all uh, podcast apps called That Said with Michael Zeldin. We talk to authors about their um Timely books. We talked to Brian Caram about Free the Press um, some time ago. I just released uh, this week my part one of the interview with Carl Bernstein about growing up as a reporter and the importance of um, local newspapers uh, in the pursuit of um, truth. And uh, I will release part two next week uh, we previously have done interviews with Jim Acosta and Nina Totenberg and David Gergen all around, though, the books that they have written rather than the news of the day.
0: Far out. And we're going to end this segment with something that we have. we can't get out of here without talking football. It's the end of the year. As we speak, the Eagles and the 49ers are playing and God only knows who's going to end up in the Super Bowl. So <clears throat> we're coming out tonight, and tomorrow this will be dropped. John, your prognostication, brother, who do you think's in the Super Bowl?
3: <laughs> well, uh, don't place any bets based on what I think, because I was wrong last week. I picked uh, the Buffalo Bills to beat the Cincinnati Bengals, and uh, that they didn't come close yeah. to beating the Cincinnati Bengals. So I um, give me – uh, give me the Bengals over the Chiefs. Um, uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Kansas City quarterback, that right ankle. I don't care what vaudeville act the Chiefs put on all week. That a high ankle sprain. If you've ever had one, is the oh, worst. It's. it's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst one you can get. So I don't think he's hundred percent. A Burrow, Joe Burrow, the Cincinnati quarterback, three and O lifetime against the Mahomes Chiefs. So give me the Bengals in that one. They're they're a solid football team. They're they're a a complete team. They're maybe the most complete team in the AFC. I think we've learned that now. So give me the Bengals. And even though Philadelphia is one of my favorite cities in the country, and San Francisco is not, I'm going to take the 49ers to upset the Eagles at the link. I think that's going to be a great game, uh, the early kick. I just think Brock Purdy has so many weapons on offense. Kyle Shanahan is a football genius and and the 49ers defense is is really incredible so i think we're going to get Bengals, uh, bingles 49ers in the super bowl
0: and there, none of them have any uh classified documents at their disposal so- well
3: it <laughs> these, these these teams do treat their playbooks like classified documents
0: yeah, that's true <laughs> although we all know what they are <laughs> jet sweep jet sweep reverse jet sweep reverse pass <laughs> off tackle dives right. <laughs> And the old Lombardi power suite. Michael, your predictions.
2: So I you, predict- can't,
0: you can't tell me you're dazed and confused on this, brother.
2: <laughs> well, I can say my my predictions around sports are driven by my heart, not my head. So <laughs> I it's like I want I want an outcome. Um but I don't know what the facts say should be the outcome. The outcome I want is what Uh, john bennett wants which is cincinnati versus san francisco uh i you know as a as a giants fan i'm not allowed to root for philadelphia there's a a a, a talmudic rule in in new york that you that 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 prohibits that even though i like their quarterback very much i think the philadelphia quarterback is 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 a great story also um is he healthy Uh, the question he he, he was he played the Giants. that's true he was was healthy enough (laughs) (laughs) and um and again with my heart i i'm just looking for cincinnati to finally win something you know so when you get to the super bowl when you get to the super bowl when we talk about this next week if it is those teams i think my heart is going to tell me to root for cincinnati even though even though <clears throat> rooting for Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, the last person chosen in the professional football draft, leading his team to the Super Bowl. It's like Kurt Warner, yes, it is two. It's hard to root against Cinderella. But yeah. I think that um But who's Cinderella? Purdy, I think. is really Cinderella, because Cincinnati has been a very good team for uh two years at least. Um so I think that I'll go with the break, the, the the curse, whatever it is that's prevented Cincinnati from ever winning. Um, and Purdy will get his you know due by having taken his team to the Super Bowl. Well, I think I'm a yeah.
0: curse because I always cheer for the Bengals because I grew up in Louisville. And that was right. the team that we cheered for was the Bengals. I was always a Packer fan, but always wanted to see the Bengals win it. But I, 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 I'm I with you, John. I'd love to see that Super Bowl I don't know that the, that it's going to be that. I think uh, that, you know, all New York uh, citizenship aside, I think it might end up being the the Eagles and the Bengals, or at least I I just don't see it, you know, but my heart, I, I'm with you, Michael. I always go with my heart. My heart is the Bengals. I hope they win the whole thing just because I'd love to see them after so many years of not uh, of getting there. I mean, you know, the Eagles have one. San Francisco's got one. Kansas City's got one. Well, I want to see the Bengals get one. That would be nice to see the Bengals get one. But Imagine
3: um, the imagine the parade. Imagine the party in Cincinnati if they win the Super Bowl.
0: All, all I know is the Ohio River. There'll be a few dead bodies floating <laughs> down, <laughs> downstream to Louisville I'll and get the, drunk and <laughs> fall wrong. in.
3: That's, the, that's... That matchup, uh, Bengals versus uh, 49ers, would, would give us a number one overall pick in Joe Burrow and yep. the last overall pick in Brock Purdy. And uh, I've so been that in, would be really cheering cool. for the
0: 49ers. That's I mean, a that's, great story. Yeah. I hadn't that, thought about that. Yeah. That is a great story. And I'm trying, be, and I, I have to cheer for the 49. I'll be in Sacramento on, there's my plug. I'll be in Sacramento Tuesday speaking for the California News uh, Paper Publishers Association and their annual meeting to about 300 members of the press talking about freeing the press and and my book and then afterwards we're going to go visit a friend of ours in san francisco and i i'd love to be able to drive into san francisco and you know uh, on the heels of them you know winning the nfc championship it'd be a great great way to celebrate but i don't know if that's going to happen my heart wants it to happen and i'd love to see the first pick versus the last that would be really cool but we'll have to we'll have to wait and see Listen, guys. Thanks for uh, once again, everybody. Next week we'll be here with more fun and frivolity. The show is just asked the question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Once again, thanks to Michael Zeldin and John Bennett for being here and making it an enjoyable and an informative event. And thanks uh, in regards to some of the emails I got this week. Yes, we have considered from time to time talking about something other than the NFL when when the NFL is over with we'll probably talk about baseball or basketball but i'm glad you enjoy that conversation and i really appreciate the reader who sent us uh, an email can, thanking all three of us for being cogent when we talk about national matters and so keep the letters coming folks we do appreciate them and we do react to them once again the, it's just asked the question i am your host Brian Karam and thank you very much and we'll catch you next time <laughs>